Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Every Wednesday, we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Welcome back to the Good Dog Pod. I am Dr. Michael Delgado here from the Good Dogs Health Standards and Research Team and your host for the Good Dog Pod this week. Today, my special guest is Flory Bliss. September is Pain Awareness Month here at Good Dog, and so I'm really excited to talk about physical therapy for dogs today. So we brought in Flory Bliss. She's a licensed veterinary technician and a certified canine rehabilitation practitioner, a job and title I did not know existed. Flory works at the Veterinary Teaching School at Virginia Tech at the Physical Rehabilitation Service. Flory, welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yay. Well, I love to start by just learning a little bit about my guest. So I would love to hear about your personal career path, like how you ended up as a vet tech, and specifically what led you to seek out a career working in physical rehab. Yeah, well, so like you, I actually didn't even know that veterinary technicians existed, honestly. I started by I went to college here and I got my degree in wildlife management and biology because I knew on some level that I wanted to work with animals, but I didn't really know what that meant. So I kind of like fell into this like wildlife management thing and I got my degree and I kind of stuck around Blacksburg because I really like it here. And I did some odd stuff, you know, field technician stuff in the Mm -hmm. field and ended up deciding to go over to the veterinary school and get a job shoveling horse stalls. Okay, I was going to say, this already sounds good. You use the word shovel. So yeah, like shoveling poop is how I ended up in this whole like career. But I realized quickly that I'm actually very allergic to hay and horses. And so I was very asthmatic and I needed a change in my life. And so someone had mentioned that you could get a certification license in veterinary technology. So I went through that program and then kind of landed in the surgery service for a while and really like that. And back then, you know, I'm going to date myself, but this is back in like 2000, 2001, And at that time, rehabilitation was just kind of starting. It was just being born for animals anyway. And so I was very curious about, you know, we didn't have a lot of post-operative instruction for these clients going home with these dogs that just had major surgery. So it got me kind of involved with the post-operative care side. And then I learned about the rehab program and it just kind of all fell into place after that. So here I am. (laughs) That's awesome. That's really great. I love the trajectory. Do you ever do physical therapy with a wild animal? No, I haven't done that. Nobody has asked me that. I have done some random things like some goats and pigs and stuff like that. But yeah, for the most part, I stick with canines because I know them. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) let's talk about why dogs end up working with you in the physical rehabilitation center. Like what are the most common issues you see or the most common reasons that a dog would end up going to your clinic? So I would say probably arthritis is the number one. Mm After that, we've got like progressive diseases. So like degenerative myelopathy and intervertebral disc disease, chronic back issues and other various things that cause weakness in the limbs. So 
I would say those are kind of the top two. And then after that, you know, I have some post-operative patients that are, you know, recovering from total hip replacements or knee surgeries, Mm -hmm. back surgeries, even amputations sometimes come to me. And then after that, probably to a lesser degree, soft tissue injuries. So like muscle, muscle tendon injuries, stuff like that. I would say for the majority, most of my patients have like multiple of those things going on all at once. There are senior patients, you know, maybe they had a knee surgery 10 years ago and now they have elbow arthritis or degenerative myelopathy and they're kind of just having trouble with getting up and stuff like that. So those are the majority of my patients are kind of the senior patients with multiple things going on. On top of that, to a much lesser degree, I fit dogs for wheelchairs and the devices and splints and braces and stuff like that. Nice. Yeah. I mean, when you mentioned it, it made so much sense, but I hadn't really thought about, yeah, dogs getting sent home after surgery. Um, The owner's just like, okay, my dog just had surgery. What do I do? So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And do you see some breeds or sizes or types of dogs more than others, like dogs with certain kinds of jobs or activities or what kind of dogs do you see? Or is it all over the place? Honestly, I would say it's all over the place. I mean, it's a little bit of a tricky question because obviously there's more popularity in golden retrievers and labs than other breeds. Sure. So I would say like the majority of my patients, if I had to like narrow it down, I'd say German shepherds, corgis, golden retrievers, labs, stuff like that. Yeah. But I have had a couple. I don't really do a lot with the sporting stuff. That's okay. But that's just me. I mean, there's plenty of other rehab people that specialize in that. Okay. I was wondering if you get a lot of dogs in with like sports injuries. Yeah. I've had a few here and there, but it's not like an epidemic of dogs coming in. (laughs) No, most of my patients are my senior patients that just need, yeah, pain management. Okay. But I would say the biggest dog, craziest, biggest dog that I've had is an Irish wolfhound. Mm. And he was actually a puppy at the time when I started seeing him. And he literally outgrew the underwater treadmill. So I couldn't, like, I couldn't do that with him anymore. So <laughs> I would say that was like the most unique breed that I've seen. That and Borzois. I saw oh, them nice. Borzois. And it was all from one owner. And they were like, they were just the coolest, coolest dogs. They're so gentle natured and really neat. I would so, love working with the seniors too. Cause yeah. I love senior pets. That's pretty Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> They're the best. They're my favorite. <laughs> yeah. So how does someone know if their dog needs physical therapy? Like, are you only taking clients who've been referred from their regular veterinarian or can someone call you up and be like, my dog seems stiff. Can I bring him in for a session? I suppose that depends on So this could vary with different physical rehabilitation people, Mm -hmm. but the way that we do it here, they always have to be referred in by a veterinarian, whether it's an internal referral from like another service at the vet school or from local area. But it's a good question because, you know, that's kind of like the education part. So sometimes owners don't know that their dog needs physical rehabilitation or that it even exists. So I would say a lot of times they're getting referred by veterinarians. And like I was saying, you know, 2000 was kind of this like birth of, I mean, it was around before that, but that's kind of where it was like really starting to kind of gain momentum. And now there's just more veterinarians that are aware of the service and they're referring patients in. So it seems to be getting better in those terms. 
Like here at Virginia Tech, we have a regenerative medicine class that's an elective. They can rotate through rehab and kind of, you know, get to see what that looks like. So, you know, hopefully, you know, our graduating classes are further equipped to, you know, identify these patients that could actually benefit from rehab. So it's growing. It's still growing. Good. But I would say the other side of that, the flip side is that there's a lot of owners that are asking to be referred. Like they're just more aware of it, you know, and I think mm-hmm. COVID changed that too, because people are home more, they're watching their dogs, they're seeing these subtle changes that might be related to chronic pain. So they're just kind of more in tune to their dogs. And so they're asking like, what else can I do? You know, veterinary medicine in general is just headed in that direction. You know, yeah. people want to make the best choices for their dogs and they want the highest quality of care. And rehab is just kind of part of that. You know, we can extend their lives and make them more comfortable and have a better quality of life for longer. You know, just educating clients, helping people know like what to look for with chronic Mm -hmm. pain, I think is really important. Yeah. Chronic pain is obviously more subtle than acute pain. So acute pain, you know, your dog's going to cry out, they're going to hold up their leg, they're going to guard it, et cetera, et cetera. Chronic pain is a slower process. So you're looking for like really subtle changes in behavior and activity. So like behavior, like decreased appetite, less interacting with people in the house or dogs in the house, other housemates, mm-hmm. hiding more, not wanting to be picked up if it's a little dog, not wanting to be pet, that kind of stuff. Maybe excessive licking, panting while resting, like when they should not be panting. And then changes in like facial expressions. So like wide eyes or squinty eyes, ears back. I usually use like owners are pretty intuitive to that kind of stuff. So I usually ask them to, you know, because they know what their dog normally looks like in their normal facial expressions. And then as far as activity, they're not wanting to go on walks. They're not interested. Mm -hmm. They're going on shorter walks. They're distracted during walks. They're smelling more. They're stopping and resting during their walks. They're really tired after their walks. They're having difficulty on stairs, slick floors, trouble getting up from a laying down position, restlessness. And then the big one that I see the most is people come in and they say, my dog can't jump in the car anymore. Or he's having a hard time getting up on the bed or up on the couch or something like that. So those are all signs of chronic pain. So it's not just because your dog's just getting older and slowing down. Like we can do something about that. That's fantastic. Those are all like great things for people to look out for. Yeah. I love that you brought up the facial expressions because I think, you know, we certainly come a long way, I think, in the past decade or so in recognizing that animals have pain faces, much like we do, like the tightening of the muzzle and the squinting of the eyes. And some of those things can be very subtle, but you gave some really great examples of things that people can look out for in their own dogs. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Now, what is a session with the dog? look like i think like water treadmill and i'm imagining like beach balls everywhere so i don't know it's like sounds very fun but like is the owner there too or is it just the dog like do they leave the dog and take off or is the owner somehow involved as well or well i would say i mean at least first off i always try and have the owner involved because i would say usually during my first appointment i say to the owners i let them know you know 90 percent of this 
is the success is what you do at home, okay. not what we're doing here. Just like so, with human physical therapy. Exactly. <laughs> you got to do yeah. the homework. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. I can always tell when they haven't done the homework. I'm sure. Yeah. I like to have their involvement because it usually for the most part, it makes the patients more comfortable mm-hmm. when their owners are there and they're involved. And that way they can see what exercises we're doing and make sure that they're doing them correctly. And the more you you have them involved during the appointments, the more likely they are to be invested in the whole thing. So that being said, <laughs> I do have some patients that are a little bit more distracted <laughs> with their owners. So I do have okay. to tell owners to wait outside. But yeah, for the most part, the owners come in and they help out with everything. Nice. So I would say usually, I mean, I run sessions usually about an hour to an hour and a half. Oh, wow. But mostly I try and stick with that hour just because really for the patients too, like after an hour, it gets kind of long mentally for them. Sure. It just depends on what we're doing as far as what that looks like. I mean, usually I start out with some kind of modality like laser therapy or ultrasound or ESIM, something like that. And then I do some massaging or past range motion, stretching, again, depending on what the patient needs. Sometimes they don't need any of that. And then we go into targeted therapeutic exercises. Yeah. And that can be anything from like, you know, underwater treadmill to, I have a dry treadmill. We've got, it does look a little bit like some fun beach time activity. I've got a bunch of yoga balls and balance discs and stuff and we have fun, you know? (laughs) It sounds kind of fun. (laughs) So for someone whose dog is undergoing physical therapy, I mean, what's a reasonable expectation for a dog to recover from an injury, whether it's surgery or another issue? Like, I think maybe people think like, well, the dog got the surgery, they should be ready to go, right? But the reality is we know any of us that have had an injury or surgery is that you don't just pop back to 100%. So like, how do you kind of set those expectations for dog owners? Well, setting the expectations. So again, I always start out, my first appointment is always like a pretty long, a two hour, pretty involved evaluation. And during that time, I ask what their goals are, just to make sure that there's not anything kind of unrealistic, like, you know, I want my dog better in two weeks or something Mm, like that. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me, but just make sure that everyone's kind of on the same page. And I guess to answer the other part of that, it depends on obviously what they're recovering from. So like, you know, any kind of post-surgical, usually like three to four months. Mm. I usually like to tell people, like, if we're going to make any improvement, We should see some improvement after like two to three weeks. And during the evaluation, I do a bunch of measurements, angle measurements, muscle girth, stance analysis, all kinds of stuff to measure, to get some kind of measurable outcome so that we can, again, do that in like two to three weeks and be able to tell whether we're making any improvement. But I would say three to four months, maybe for those basic post-operative orthopedic surgeries, the back surgeries are a little bit more complicated and vary a little bit too much to even say. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, muscle tendon injuries, obviously those take a lot longer. I mean, if anyone's been to human physical therapy, I mean, those take six months to a year to heal really. So yes. it varies a lot. And then of course I have my senior patients that have the comorbidities that I was talking about mm-hmm. with like progressive diseases. And I just call those my forever patients. They're just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just maintaining their quality of life. And that's right. That's right. Good life. Yeah. Great. Great. Well, we're here with Lori Bliss at the Good Dog Pod. We will be right back. 
Good Dog provides breeders in our community with free and exclusive access to puppy contract templates and legal resources created by our team of lawyers, specifically for dog breeders. Follow the link in the show notes to access these sample contracts, legal webinars, our breeder recommended list of lawyers, and more. You are listening to the Good Dog Pod. Today's guest is Flory Bliss. She's a certified canine rehabilitation practitioner, and we're talking about physical therapy for dogs. So I know that technology is constantly evolving and impacting what we do in veterinary medicine. And now it seems like there's all kinds of options for pets. I was looking at the website about all the different services that you offer. There's water treadmills, there's lasers, there's the Assisi loop, there's e-stim. Like what are some recent trends in physical therapy that you see are like especially helpful for dogs or do you have some things you prefer to work with or is it really dependent on what the issue is and like what do the dogs seem to like like are they just like e-stimmy like I love e-stim whenever I go to physical therapy I'm like oh turn that up but like yeah 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 Yeah, and we use a lot of e-stim for post-operative care and dogs do actually seem to respond really nicely to it for like back surgeries and stuff it's not my go-to during walk-in regular appointments. I keep those to my post-operative care patients mostly. Yeah. And there's just a lot of shaving. Does every dog love a good massage? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say no. <laughs> um, yeah, you kind of have to work with like whatever your patient is willing to tolerate, you know? Okay, yeah. I mean, most dogs tolerate laser therapy really well because nice. it's non-invasive. They don't yeah. feel it. There's no heat, which I think maybe sometimes people think that there's some heat involved. Mm-hmm. They don't really feel anything. So it's very easy for them to just kind of lay there, get lots of attention and food. <laughs> so I would say that's probably one of their favorite ones. Nice. And it does make them feel better. You know, most yeah. of these modalities that we're using that you mentioned, all of them have a little bit of an analgesic effect. So they do feel better walking out the door. And usually the owners comment on that too. They're like, oh yeah, Cluffy's walking a little bit better right nice. now. Nice. Very good. So most of them have that effect. And then there's the various modalities are for various things too. Okay. So yeah, it's just kind of all over the place. We probably don't have time to get into that. <laughs> but I would say, I mean, it is really exciting to work at a vet school because I do have all of that stuff at my fingertips that, yeah. you know, maybe a private practice doesn't have. But my favorite thing, and we actually just finished a study on this, looking at the effectiveness of pulse electromagnetic field therapy. So like the CC loop, yeah, looking at the effectiveness of that on managing chronic pain in cats that have osteoarthritis. So that's going to be really exciting. There's nothing out there yet. We don't, it's not. I think we're all waiting to find out because we have been saying it promoted. It's really exciting. There's a lot of new research on those pump devices. So I guess if there's anything that's like up and coming, that's exciting, I would say that. And the other side of that is that owners can do that at home. And so that's like the best thing, you know, if they can do treatments at home, it's again, that sort of owner involvement and their investment in that time and money for their animal and the dogs tolerate it perfectly fine. There's no really sensation or anything. It's just this weird loop on their body. So at least anecdotally, I I get pretty good responses from that. So I would say that's one of my favorite right now. Nice. And that leads nicely into my next question, which is just about what can people do at home to keep their dogs happy, prevent injury? So thinking about maybe from the prevention side of things or just keep their dogs more like limber and happy. 
Yeah. I mean, I would say, I guess it depends on what the dog's job is, obviously. So if you have a sporty agility dog or athletic dog or a working dog, those probably need a little bit more care. So like a little bit more conditioning. Fit Paws does a really nice job on their website. They have some nice video. Oh, cool. And they have products and stuff that you can buy, like some of these balance discs and stuff. And then they have video that goes along with it on how to condition your dog to do different exercises. It's nice. It's nice for those people that want to do some more conditioning at home. Nice. And that's fitpaws.com? Yeah. Yeah. And then it's all capital. So P-A-W-S is all capitalized. Okay. I would say, you know, regular exercise and don't let your dog get overweight. Okay. That was actually what I wanted to, because we haven't talked about overweight and obesity, but I mean, we hear so much about the impact that has on our pet's health. And do you find that's the case? Like, do you see a lot of overweight dogs in your practice? Absolutely. I see a lot of overweight dogs and we can help calculate out calories and we give ideas about different kinds of treats that are low Mm -hmm. calorie. I try and do low calorie treats here. So yeah, that's huge. We always talk about that. If there's body condition scores, like number one thing that I look at. Yeah. Great. So here at Good Dog, I mean, you brought up treats. We're big fans of Fear Free. We've talked to lots of Fear Free practitioners and (laughs) Marty Becker a few times. Yeah. How do you incorporate Fear Free into your physical therapy practice? Yeah, I love Fear Free, (laughs) first off, and I'm Fear Free certified. So number one, that's how I incorporate it. But I always start my appointments actually before that patient first comes in. So I send out a welcome letter and it kind of describes to the owners what to expect during their appointments. So if their dog has like favorite treats or low calorie treats or any kind of diet restrictions to bring in their own treats or a toy if they're motivated by toys. So that, and then I also tell them how long the appointment is going to take. So usually it takes like a little bit longer for that first appointment. So it's generally two hours. So I like to let them know that ahead of time so that they don't come in here and like an hour goes by and they're looking at their watch because they have a haircut appointment or something. So I'd like to make sure that they're kind of calm and are willing to take all that time. And then I make sure that my schedule allows for that time as well. So we kind of start out (laughs) just everyone's calm and then dogs are pretty intuitive like they can read a room pretty well so if i come in in a calm state and relax relax body language that kind of stuff and i almost never really address the dog first i tell all my vet students that you always just talk to the client first. And then, you know, I bring them in and let the dog kind of loose and they can smell around. And that's my time to kind of just sit on the floor and have some treats in my hand and talk to the owners and get a history of the patient and, you know, what they're there for and the goals and all that kind of stuff. So that's like a good half hour that the dog's just kind of walking around. The owner's now calm and they're sitting and everyone's just kind of chatting. So I think that helps a lot, actually. And then after that, as far as the measurements and stuff that I was telling you that I have to do, it's kind of whatever the dog will allow. So Mm -hmm. I don't really force restraint or anything because I want it all to be a positive experience. I don't want them to walk away with this feeling like they were violated. (laughs) Right. Because next time they're not going to be happy to be there. Right. Right. So yeah, no restraints. I get whatever measurements I can get. And then we kind of just go from there. And then just like I said, a lot of positive reinforcement, a lot of treats. Nice. 
you know, you see like all these videos. If you go online, I have some videos of dogs getting up on different balance discs and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I've never like forced any of that. They are willing to do that on their own with positive reinforcement. So it takes a lot of time. You know, you have to establish a relationship with the patient in order to have that all happen. So you you have to have some patience. It sounds really rewarding. Yeah. (laughs) Are there any myths about physical therapy for dogs that you'd like to bust? Well, I would say that the old myth, and this has actually probably been busted in human physical therapy too, but the whole idea of no pain, no gain. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I always address pain first before yeah. I do any kind of physical activities. I don't believe in that. You can just throw that one right out the window. And then the other thing is like, we do a lot of treats here and some of my owners will say, oh man. If I were given an ice cream cone while I was doing my physical therapy, I would be happy to do my physical therapy. (laughs) I would also like to point out that it's not like human physical therapy. My patients love coming. (laughs) (laughs) I actually like physical therapy. You know, it's like a tune-up, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I get it. I've I've been to plenty of physical therapy. (laughs) The homework is tough for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's been so interesting learning about what you do. I do like to end my interviews with a fun question. So the question is, if you could be any breed of dog, which would you choose? And is your answer influenced by who you see in your practice? (laughs) (laughs) I think that if I were to be any dog, and actually I don't work with this breed very often, so I don't know if it's influenced by my job, but I would say a German short-haired pointer. Okay. They have so much stamina and they're like muscular and sporty. I like that combo. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Good choice. Quality choice. Yeah. All right. Well, Lori Bliss, thank you so much for being on the Good Dog Pod. I learned a lot about canine physical therapy. Super interesting. Sounds like a really fun job and you provide an amazing service for your clients and your patients. So thanks for what you do. Yeah. Thank you very much. 